0: Hey, welcome, folks. Thank you again to our Good Friday service. My name's Joe Hess, and I'm the Karen Connections pastor here at South Suburban. Um, There's a phrase pastor types throw around this time of year. I've thrown it out, too. Um, Maybe you've heard it. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's a, a reference to Good Friday and then ultimately to Easter The first time I heard this phrase, it was was in a short story about a young couple that were trying desperately to start a family, but couldn't. The couple would try and try to get pregnant, nothing. Friends of theirs would seemingly just think about having a baby and it would happen, but they struggled. They really struggled. And there were several times when the woman would get pregnant, only eventually to miscarry. And the woman was sharing the story. The woman who was trying to conceive a child was telling the story. And as she shared her story, after each false start, after each time the couple thought they were going to have this baby, when there was a seed of hope that maybe, just maybe, this was the time they would have the baby, then they would lose it. And the woman would share this phrase as she was sharing the story It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. She was pointing us to this Friday, Good Friday, the day we remember the first Good Friday, Jesus going to the cross, to the crucifixion, to his death. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. The Teller was trying to remind us that in our Good Friday moments, in those moments when darkness settles around us, in those moments when our very breath gets sucked out of us, when death and despair and sorrow and heartache and loss are the only things we see, The only things we feel in these Good Friday moments that aren't just moments. Sometimes, sometimes they're a season or three or even a lifetime. In our Good Friday times, the storyteller is trying to remind us, don't forget about Sunday. Don't forget about Easter. Don't forget that love. God's love wins, ultimately wins. Don't forget about hope. And I believe all of that. I do, believe, I do believe the promises of that first Easter morning. I believe it with all my heart and soul and strength and might. There's a part of me that in my own Good Friday moments, I want to respond over and over again with those same words. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And push past the pain of my own Good Friday. Take four ibuprofen before I go to bed on Friday night and not wake up until Sunday morning, hopefully prayerfully feeling better then but I don't think that's how it works. That's not how Good Fridays work. And as much as we may want to go over it or under it or around it, the only way to go through our Good Fridays is just that, to go through it. The night before that first Good Friday, Jesus, in all his humanness, as he sees in his heart how this Good Friday is going to play out, he comes to the Father and prays this prayer of prayers. Father, Abba, Daddy, Pop, Is there any other way to do this? Is there any other way? Please, Dad, please. And in the silence of that night, Jesus gets his answer and whispers back, Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. All of us deal with Good Friday moments or Good Friday seasons, but this year, this past year, it just seems like it has been one big, long, stinking Good Friday. From the impacts of COVID and the lockdowns to all that followed this past year to a week ago Monday when folks went to the grocery store to buy Cheerios and bread and the unthinkable happens. In today's Good Friday service, we're gonna share with you the seven last words or phrases that Jesus spoke to us from the cross, words recorded in the gospel stories. These words of Jesus are often woven into a special service on Good Friday called a tenebrae service or a service of darkness. We're borrowing parts, borrowing from parts of that service to, to put this service together. After each word from Jesus on the cross, I'll share a, a reflection on, on that word, and then Leela will then share some music for our, for our own time of reflection, and then we'll begin one at a time to extinguish the seven candles that are lit here on the altar table, slowly leading us toward the end of Jesus' earthly life when finally the last candle is put out and we enter into darkness. We invite you to lean into these stories as much as you can. Lean into these stories and let them touch your heart. This is Jesus' first word from Luke's gospel. As they led him Jesus away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified Jesus, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Last year at this time, we were entering our second month with COVID-19 and we had no idea how this was going to play out in our homes, in our church, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our community and beyond. We're approaching 545,000 lives taken in the United States alone, almost 2.7 million folks worldwide that were here a year ago, no longer with us because of the virus. And We've lost people in our church family too not only due to COVID, but but in the midst of COVID. And that's made it all the more difficult. Loved ones near and far, loved ones young and old. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Brene Brown is one of my favorite authors and speakers. And um, she talks about how we struggle so when we're doing something for the first time. She calls them FFTs, FFTs, first, first times, FFTs. And FFTs are hard, and we've had a lot of hard this past year, a lot of FFTs, first, first times. Zoom meetings and social distancing and relearning how to wash our hands and COVID testing and vaccines and hospitalization graphs. We all admit now, and maybe it's only looking in the rearview mirror, a lot of last year we we did not know what we were doing. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And I'm thinking in view of all that's happened this past year collectively, worldwide, nationwide, statewide, citywide, community-wide, in our church, in our individual homes, in our lives, in my life, from events in Denver this past summer to the storming of our capital, to what just happened up in Boulder a week ago, there's a whole bunch of this forgiveness that we need down here from the Father. Jesus' whole mission, his whole mission on earth summed up by that one line, Father, Forgive them. And the them is us. Not just the soldiers or the crowds that shouted, crucify him, crucify him. The them is us. Because we are broken, all of us, sinful, knuckleheads. The them is me too. It's personal. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive us. Father, forgive me. Forgive me. Jesus' first word from the cross. Jesus' prayer for us from the cross. Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus' second word from Luke's gospel. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, Since you are under the same sentence, We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus hangs now from the cross. Six-inch spikes nailed through his hands and his feet to hold him there. What was left of the skin on his back after the beating and scourging last night now rubbed raw from the rough hewn wood of the cross. It gets personal here. These kinds of things, they're, they're a public shaming, a crucifixion, or two, or three. It drew a crowd. Some wanted to, to see the blood, the anguish, the pain on these criminals' faces. And Some, I'm sure, couldn't believe this was happening. Wasn't this Jesus Didn't we just welcome him into the city last week with the victor's parade, palm branches, and shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now this was happening. And there was a crowd mentality, an angry crowd. Folks got swept up into it like a rip current. They couldn't fight. The people stood and watched. Some wanted to turn away, but they couldn't. Sharks were circling the rulers. The ones in charge, the the leaders of this angry mob, really it was the holy people, quote unquote. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, these guys that had been threatened from the beginning by this Jesus, the ones who wanted him eliminated, they make it personal now. As Jesus hangs from the cross, they shout at him. And I'm thinking, Jesus hears every word. That's their intent. We got you now, we got you good. And they turn to each other and prod the crowd along, poking, poking, poking with their words now, challenging Jesus and everything he stood for as They spit out these words. He saved others. (laughs) Let him save himself if he really is the Christ, if he really is the chosen one. And the soldiers join in. If you really are the king, the king of the Jews, we challenge you. Save yourself. A real king would never let this happen. It's all personal. It's first the crowd and then the soldiers. Now, the criminal to his left, angry and hurting and troubled, he jumps in too, just like us sometimes when we are angry and scared and hurting. How hurtful we can be with our words, with our actions, insult upon insult. I'm going down and I'm going to drag as many folks as I can with me. I'm going to make life for you as miserable as it is for me. But the criminal on the right, in the midst of the chaos, He's watching all of this. He's struggling too, hurting and angry and scared. He reaches out to Jesus and prays this simple prayer. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus' second word from the cross. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Words shared by Jesus in response to the thief's request. Promises shared with us when we pray those same words, Jesus, remember me. Words of hope and promise in the midst of our own struggles. Jesus' third word from John's Gospel. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his own home. I've learned a lot more about life from funerals than I ever have at weddings. Um, Some of you guys know this. I'm a funeral guy, and maybe something's wrong with me, but I love funerals. And I I don't love, love them, but I feel called to be a part of them. Walking with the families during these times, during the heartache. At weddings, there can be a lot of distractions. There's not so much um, at funerals. There's very little fluff at funerals. For me, my role as a pastor is to walk alongside others, especially at funerals, but also every day as a dad and a husband, as a brother and a friend. My role is to walk alongside folks, to encourage them, to remind them, as Pastor Darrell used to say to us, to stay steady, to not give up. I believe my whole role as a human and a follower of this Jesus is to be a hope-giver-outer. It's a big seminary-type word, hope-giver-outer, but I think you get the gist. I believe with all my heart, That quote from Ram Dass, I I say it so often that I I think Ram Dass took it from me, but it goes like this, when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, we're all just walking each other home. As Jesus here is heading home, he is the ultimate hope giver outer. And I used to always think this third word from the cross was Jesus' way of making sure Mary, his mom, was going to be cared for, the widow would be taken care for, have a roof over her head. But maybe... Just maybe Jesus is making this connection as much for John's sake, his beloved disciple, as he is for Mary's. John, often thought of as the youngest of the apostles, he's been handpicked by Jesus to be a leader amongst leaders, alongside Peter, alongside his own brother James. John's going to need some wise counsel as he wrestles with his calling, as he writes and records the Gospel of John, as he lives out God's purpose for him. In my life, maybe yours too, God often seems to work the edges of the story as much as he does the center. Jesus' third word from the cross. Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. fourth word from Matthew's gospel from the sixth hour until the ninth hour darkness came over all the land about the ninth hour Jesus cried out in a loud voice Eloi Eloi lama sabachthani which means my God my God why have you forsaken me after the year that we've all had a year we've all lost something haven't we innocence trust patients, careers, loved ones. There's a whole bunch of us that might have thought or said the same thing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, where, where the heck are you in the midst of, of all of this? I had an old friend for coffee towards the end of last year. My friend had lost his faith, more like he pushed it away. As long as I had known him, he had this strong faith in this really unique way of articulating it a way that, all, that often surprised me and stretched me. And here we were talking, and he said he, w- he wasn't buying it anymore. With his words, he claimed he was fine. But underneath, I sensed a deep tension, a defensiveness. And I had a knot in my stomach the whole time I was with him. I wanted to argue with him. I wanted to defend God. But I checked my, my record and remembered, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm O forever in arguing anyone to Jesus. So I just listened. I met this friend again for coffee a month or so ago. This time, because of COVID, we couldn't meet inside, and we drank our coffee outside and shivered the whole time. But the conversation was warmer. He seemed softer now, not so defensive of his unbelief. My friend, he may feel forsaken, but he is not forgotten. Mary, as she watched her son suffer, the story reminds us she was not alone. The story says she had two dear friends and a sister with her. They join her because Mary needs them, needs them to cry with her, to grieve with her, not to be perfect by any means, but to to just be present. They showed up. And as they stood at the foot of the cross, as they saw Mary's heart breaking, a mother's heart breaking, they too were wondering, God, God, where are you in this? But Maybe the faintest of a whisper came from deep within their souls, words they couldn't even articulate at the time, but the whisper is there. I am in you. And I steal this from Lisa Teerkurst. Sometimes when you can't find the footing with your own faith, you just have to go stand on someone else's. Jesus' fourth word from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fifth word from John's Gospel. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Jesus' fifth word from the cross, I am thirsty. If you're hearing or watching this on Good Friday, I started working on this message two weeks ago. The week prior, we had that big snowstorm, you guys remember, that left up to two feet of snow around town, wet, heavy snow, moisture we so desperately needed, and maybe it's changed some now, but after that real big snow, they were still saying that most of the state was still under severe to extreme drought conditions. Our land, our lawns, our forests, our streams and lakes, all very thirsty. We all remember from last summer what happens when conditions are dry in Colorado when conditions are thirsty. Basic human need, thirst, our need for fluids, we all take it for granted when we get thirsty. We can take a drink whenever we want, be it water or milk or a Diet Coke. We assume that when we get thirsty, we'll be able to take a drink and satisfy that thirst. Don't we all take that for granted? Until we can't. Jesus says, I am thirsty. and We know he hasn't had a drink, a long drink, since he was taken prisoner, The night before. If you've ever cared for a loved one that is so weak from illness or someone coming out of a long surgery, they don't have the strength to take a sip of water, you know how personal this is, and you hold the cup, you bring it to their lips, or you use a straw to hold it up to their lips, you lean in, you watch their eyes, one sip at a time mostly. This is not that scene on the cross. This is all part of the spectacle. The soldiers are not caring about Jesus' personal needs. They just don't want Jesus to die too early. This is a sick sport for them. They dip the sponge into cheap wine. They put the sponge on a hyssop branch and they stick it in Jesus' face. There's nothing tender in this gesture. There is no love. There's just a smirk. Also, when Jesus says, I'm thirsty, it's way bigger than just a basic human need for water. It's nearing the end now for Jesus. Death is near, and this is fulfillment of scripture. This helps tie the stories together, the the Old Testament story with the new. Folks point to Psalm, Psalm 69 where it says, for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. There is another link between the hyssop branch and the Exodus story. The hyssop branch used to place the sponge to Jesus' lips. The Jewish, folks, the Jewish folks in Jesus' day would have remembered the significance of the hyssop plant. The plant was used to place the blood of the lamb around the doorway as a sign to protect their families from death that first Passover in Egypt. Lives were spared that night long ago. This night too, this Good Friday, lives that are spared again, the lives of all who call Jesus their Lord and Savior. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Basic human need, basic human needs. They say we can, we can go quite a while without food, a week or more. But water, we can't go with water for very long. We need water to live, spiritual water too. Jesus' fifth word from the cross, I am thirsty. The sixth word is from John's Gospel. When Jesus had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And I want to break the tone of Good Friday just for a second. Um, Sometimes we all need a break from our Good Friday moments, don't we? It's a Peyton Manning story. Peyton Manning's first Super Bowl with Denver. As much as I want to forget it, I remember it so well. Jacob, our son, came home from college that weekend. He, su- he surprised us so that we could watch the game together. It was our thing to watch the Broncos, especially when Peyton Manning came. And I know some of you remembered this. We were playing Seattle Seahawks. I think it was the first snap of the game. Broncos were in shotgun. The ball goes over Peyton's head on the first snap. And it was downhill from there. We got thumped, embarrassed, could never get anything going. I remember Peyton Manning coming on the Dave Logan Show the week after and apologizing to us, the fans, for the game they played. As diehard Broncos fans, it was tough to see and painful to watch, painful to endure. Back to the Good Friday story. In the world's eyes, this whole thing, Jesus going to the cross, dying on the cross, it has been such a spectacle. From last Sunday's Palm Sunday Super Bowl to this, wow, wow. A lot can change in a week. What a week. It is finished. It's over. Turn out the lights. Let's all go home. Jesus' biggest fans, the, the, the disciples scattered, just family and a couple of friends left to pick up the pieces. In the world's eyes, in our human judgment, in our earth, from our earthly perspective, Jesus' sixth words from the cross it is finished. It's not out of victory, it's out of defeat. What was the charge? What was that charge that was put over Jesus' head? Written in several languages so everyone would know. King of the Jews? Some king he turned out to be. The Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God? That's a mouthful, isn't it? What a week. What a week. Jesus' sixth word from the cross it is finished. Jesus' seventh word and last word from Luke's gospel. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. It was September 1st, 2018, Vero Beach, Florida. It was early morning, stormy and unsettled, I, re- I remember the thunderstorms and the heavy rain. My mom was in hospice care, and she was dying from kidney failure. My dad was there next to the bed holding my mom's hand, and the hospice nurse comes in to check on mom. She listens to my mom's heart, and as she's listening to the heartbeat, my mom's heart stops. One second it's beating, and the next it's not. It just stops, and mom breathes last the nurse said that had never happened to her before from the first chapter of John's gospel in him in Jesus was life and that life was the light of all mankind the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not has not overcome it but today it has it's Good Friday darkness wins today and as Jesus is dying on the cross darkness descends on the land, physical darkness, from noon to 3 p.m., from, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, for three hours straight, the gospel writer says the sun stops shining. Physical darkness, but also spiritual and emotional darkness. I imagine a heaviness, it just settles in that, in that at that time, around the world. Never felt like that before. And this curtain in the temple, the curtain that separates the Holy of Holies from the people, the Holy of Holies where God resides, this curtain with, was the line between God and the common folks where folks couldn't cross. The text says the curtain was torn into, ripped into, is the original um, translation. The separation between God and God's people is no more. And then, right before Jesus breathed his last, he shares this final prayer with us Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, I commit my life, I commit my breath. If you've ever had the opportunity to be with a loved one in the last moments of their life, it is always, always holy ground. For me, it seems that the veil between us and heaven gets very, very thin. It seems you can almost see right through it. It's a holy place, but it's a really hard, hard place to be. Father, Jesus' words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The ultimate prayer of faith and trust. Here you go with my most precious, what's most precious to me, I place, I place in your hands, Father. There's no turning back now. There's no turning back. And there's nothing easy about stepping into God's Good Friday story, but we do it to remember, to truly remember how much God, in and through His Son, Jesus, loves us. And we're invited to look at this story through the lens of our own Good Friday stories. Jesus pushes up against the block under his feet one last time. Jesus struggles to take that last breath, and then it's finally over. Finally, fine. Dead silence. Death. Jesus' the seventh word from the cross: "Father." Into your hands I commit my spirit.